And the one thing that MSPs really need to focus is either a quarterly business review, an annual review, some type of reports. Because the thing is, is if you're doing a really great job in keeping your customers protected, they're not hearing about any of the security incidents. They're not seeing you on site trying to fix anything. So guess what happens when they start looking at budgets and they need to cut some costs? They're going to say, well, you know, I haven't seen any security incidents. I guess we don't need that service that my MSP is offering because, you know, I'm not seeing them. It must mean that it's not happening. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about and for managed service providers. Managed service providers, or MSPs, are the tech support and cybersecurity backbone for so many small businesses. Dentists, mom-and-pop restaurants, bakeries, small markets, local newspapers, clothing stores, bed and breakfasts off the side of the road. All of these businesses need tech support because nearly everything they do, from processing credit card fees to storing patient information to managing room reservations, all of that has a technical component to it today. These businesses, unlike major corporations, rarely have the budget to hire a full-time staff member to provide tech support. So instead, they rely on a managed service provider to be that support when needed. But imagine just for a minute here how much responsibility goes into the broad umbrella of tech support. Tech support today isn't just helping a client when a website is down or setting up new devices for new employees. Tech support today is increasingly about providing cybersecurity from installing and managing a cybersecurity product to prevent cyber attacks to helping employees make safe decisions about their own cybersecurity. Things like don't open attachments from unknown email senders or don't reuse passwords or report phishing. All of the things that we have heard before, but multiplied by dozens, if not hundreds of clients. Today, we're going to discuss two very real hurdles for MSPs. One, we're going to look at how MSPs can sort through the annual onslaught of new features, new capabilities, new marketing speak for the litany of cybersecurity products that are out there. How can MSPs decipher what is right for both their own workforce and for the clients they support? And two, we're going to look at how MSPs can go beyond just installing a cybersecurity product. We're going to look at how they can help shape the very security culture of their clients and why that's a good idea. For today's discussion, we're speaking with two experts, Eddie Phillips, Strategic Account Manager, and Nadia Karatsorios, Senior MSP Growth Strategist, both with Malwarebytes. Eddie, Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to be here, David. Absolutely. We're stoked to have you folks here. And we have so much to cover, so we have to kind of just get right into it. And I want to introduce today's discussion with a recent trend that we've all likely seen, which is that the in-person security conference has returned. Uh, RSA, held in San Francisco, came back this year in just last month, right? I was in Vegas for Black Hat. And at both of those conferences, when touring the business exhibition floor spaces, I saw 
so many promises from so many different companies about what their cybersecurity product could do for me. It was honestly kind of dizzying. Uh, there was features from dark web scanning to MDR to XDR to identity protection to uh, the list kind of goes on. And I mention all of this because to me, it shows that with the return of the in-person security conference, something else has returned, which is the in-person pitch for the latest, greatest security product. And with that, I wanted to understand from an MSP perspective, what does this landscape of continuously evolving security, what does that landscape look like? Like just how many tools and features are MSPs having to sort through and to research and to hear about every few months or every year? So David, you, you alluded to it as you went to your, your descriptor of the entire situation, but for anyone with a programming background that's listening, it's like working with nested multi-dimension arrays. It's products within environment, within features, within changes. And it is a huge mountain that MSPs have to deal with. I mean, there's the core areas, right? There's, and you alluded to those as well. There's cloud, there's endpoint, there's network, there's data at rest, data in transit. And then each of those have different aspects to them that need to be secured. And then to complicate matters, those aspects and solutions require you know, monitoring, maintenance, updating, and then the ever-changing cybersecurity world, the new threats that are out there. Because it's not like any other industry where you're dealing with a, a constant all the time. You literally have people, organizations out there that are actively trying to break your system, not to mention all the other normal things that MSP deals with where projects and tickets and that sort of thing. So to, to answer your question, I would say there's got to be at least a dozen different products, more if you start to consider the tools that MSPs use every day, like PSAs and RMMs. Absolutely. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. And as as you said, we're getting back out there. We're, we're going to shows. We're seeing brand new vendors appear, uh, having new booths. But then we're also seeing vendors that we've known for years all of a sudden calling themselves security vendors. And I think we have to go back to basics as much as security is absolutely necessary and there's technology behind it. I also think it's become a marketing buzzword in our space. I have to be a security vendor. I have to offer security services as a vendor to the MSP and then the MSP has to do that then to their customers. So I think it's all about going back to basics, you know, define your own business requirements. What are your targets? What kind of services do you want to offer? You know, what kind of financial requirements do you have? But really going back to basics and, and understanding what you want to offer and what your customers need. I think that thing you mentioned there right now, Nadia, is really interesting that everyone is seemingly feeling the pressure to become a security vendor. Where do you think that's coming from? I think honestly, it's that fear that everybody has. We can't turn on the news. We can't look at our social media without hearing about a new incident. And now the end users who consider themselves non-technical are starting to go to their MSPs and asking them, you know, am I safe? Should I be worried that I'm next? With all of the stuff that we mentioned, right? And, and like I said, I just kind of come back to, you know, touring these floors. I am not an MSP. I am also, you know, I, I pretend to be a cybersecurity expert on the show. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I go through these floors and I'm going to be honest, I don't know 50% of what's being spoken about. And I know that it is many MSPs jobs to know 100% 
of what is being spoken about, about what is being pitched. And so I wanted to ask here, you know, with so many new products, with so many new features and upgrades, and also, like you said, even just so many new vendors positioning themselves as something different than they were, you know, just a year ago, how can MSPs decide which tools are the right tools? And I assume that depends a lot on, you know, what's right for their business, but how do we even begin to decipher all of that? I am so glad that you asked that question. So I'm going to put my MSP, the former MSP owner hat back on for just for, for the, probably the rest of this uh, this conversation. I so wish that more vendors understood the position that, that MSPs are in. A lot of them approach MSP like telemarketers, right? I mean, I don't know if you if you've ever worked in the telemarketing industry, but they you know you call up a potential client and you give them you know the, the three strikes are out kind of thing where you try three times and if they still say no okay you hang up the phone what i wish every vendor knew is to please 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 cut to the chase because if you're going to call me as an msp owner in october when i've got five projects i've got staff on vacation we're trying to deploy new tools or we've got an infection or whatever it is we're trying to deal with as, as a business if i say no i'm happy right now and i can't deal with it it's typically the truth. Ripping out and replacing a tool, even implementing a new feature, has to be scheduled. It has to have a lot of forethought and planning. So typically what I tell, what I used to tell vendors was, you know what, this, your product's interesting. I, I certainly, I just can't handle it right now. Circle back to me you know, next month, uh, next quarter, or whatever it happens to be. And when it comes to actually choosing the product, here's what we did to, to kind of make sure that we are on the right path and then make it supportable down the road is we would start with things like the the MITRE attack result. MITRE is an independent organization and they do a um, the MITRE attack evaluations. I believe it's once a year. I'm not even sure actually uh, how often they do it, but they, do, they compare, say, let's say, endpoint protection software. And so what we did as an MSP is we would start there. We would look for something that was proven and well-known in the industry. Then we would look at Gartner to see what kind of reviews were out there on those products. And then we would look at our existing partners. So for example, uh, we had a, a firewall vendor that also offered endpoint protection. And so we would go there. First of all, we, we knew that that product was trusted. And then we didn't have to expand our spectrum of vendors because the more vendors you have, the more admin work there is. And we prefer one throat to choke as much as possible. <laughs> That's kind of how we roll. Now, it doesn't always work out. In our particular case, the vendor that we partner with for endpoint, the interface is too complicated and the support and their, their SOC services didn't really work out for us. So we went to another vendor that we already had to look for a, a solution. And that's typically how a lot of MSPs start the, the process. At the end of the day, sometimes you just can't you know, pull from your current pool of vendors and you have to look elsewhere. And then comes the big journey to review, research and interrogate vendors to find the right product. Yeah, and I see that all the time. Like the technology is great. And, you know, if you look at all those vendors you see in that vendor hall, all the vendors you see participating in webinars and podcasts out there, everybody's doing something great. They're in business for a reason. But what really differentiates them is what they do beyond the technology. Anybody who knows me and knows that I've been in the space a long time, I'm a huge believer in an advisory board or an advisory council. Does that company use one? Do they have one so that they actually are hearing the voice of the MSP and not just what the internal people are suggesting? That to me, that's huge because they are listening and know what's out there. You know, what kind of support do they offer? 
MSPs are kind of around the clock, always expected to be that expert, always expected to have that answer, which means their vendors also need to be there all the time. You know, again, to your customers as Miss, you know, Mr. or Miss MSP, your customer is expecting you to have best in class vendors. So you need to do your research, the, the company background. Do they have the, the right morals? Do they have the right background to match what you're offering? Do they have training for you? Do they have integrations? As Eddie mentioned, you're probably using a whole bunch of tools right now. Do they integrate so it makes your life easier? Do they have a partner program? Because as we know with MSPs, they don't just want a, a product that just gets installed and you know call me if you need more or call me if we need to renew. They need that support of the partner program. Do they allow you to have a trial or a demo to make sure that it works in your environments? Are they constantly updating? And what does their security system look like? Are, are they protected? Uh, are we going to have um, issues you know, coming down the line if they're not doing all the right things? So these are all things behind the technology that an MSP really needs to consider when considering those vendors. Both of you touched on like some fascinating things already. And I love seeing like the parallel between what feels like running an MSP business Nadia, something that you just mentioned here, right? You know, like you have to vet your vendors and that goes extensively beyond technology that goes into, you know, are they listening? Do they have an advisory board? You know, do they have the right business plan? Do they have ethics that line up with yours? Are they, you know, a legitimate good, you know, a good business? And it feels like we're getting into this area of like the whole understanding of a supply chain. And we've seen, you know, in a very different field here, uh, supply chain attacks, you know, that there is a there's a weak link in all of the software we use and that you can attack one of those things. And it feels, you know, this is a problem that's been around for, I think, decades. And it's interesting just to see that this is a problem for everyone and it manifests in different ways. And, and Eddie, something you said here, right, is also like, you're vetting tools also by going to your trusted partners already. You know, they may have a solution here and you go to them, you say, okay, well, we trust them on X, so we can likely trust them on Y. And a certain number of partners is just going to become top heavy. Like your work is going to become more administrative than it is supporting clients. And one thing I really wanted to understand here is, is there like a typical number of partners? Like, is, is that a thing? It's funny because I've had this conversation multiple times with with MSPs and they'll tell you that, you know, as something as simple as backup and disaster recovery, the average is like six to eight different vendors that they use just for something as simple as, as backup. So, you know, there is no magic number of what you should have and everybody's business is a little bit different. You know, they may have a, a vertical that they want to focus on. So everybody's different. But, you know, as much as you want to have you know, as as least vendors as possible, the least bills to sort through at the end of the month. But there's so many different ones out there that uh, that might work for your particular situation. And again, your customers are expecting you to vet the best ones out there. I don't think there is a, a magic number, but I bet any MSP you'd speak to and, and Eddie, I bet you'd support this would say, I wish there was less. Absolutely. Because <laughs> David, you're actually, you're absolutely right. The more the more vendors, the more the more admin and you know, Nadia, you're absolutely right that finding that quality vendor sometimes, you know, just means biting the bullet and, and adding, you know, one more payable to your finance system. How long does some of this ta- this work take, right? Like how long does a review process for bringing on a new partner for like one specific thing? Because the granularity that you both have described, 
I feel like this is like a three to six month process to bring someone new in. I think it depends on a lot of different variables. Back when uh, there was a big breach down in Texas, an MSP was impacted, ended, ended up impacting you know dozens of different organizations. We were set back on our heels. It didn't impact us directly, but we, at that point, we took the seriousness of certain security aspects to another level. And we realized that we had to do some upgrades. We had to implement better security much, much faster. And so we didn't really have the leisurely opportunity to to implement new solutions, and we had to to escalate those to it uh, and streamline them to a at, a at a much quicker schedule. In that scenario, doing things like implementing two-factor or multi-factor authentication, where you have to have the secondary code, in areas maybe we didn't have it before, we we move much much uh, more quickly than we would have normally. So typically, yeah, maybe maybe three months, depending on what it is, but also depends on factors like, you know, how is it deployed? Uh, what are the risks for the client? Uh, what, what kind of documentation do we need to do? Uh, there's so many factors that, that build into it that it's, it's hard to pinpoint that. And again, severity and, and risk is a big part of it. Yeah, and I think it's actually gets split up into two things. 30-day trials seem to have like a nice ring to it. So most of the time people will trial thing out for let's say a month, but realize it might take a lot longer. You know, if you're talking about um, someone's PSA tool, for example, or RMM, that could take a lot longer. Specifically here, we're talking about some of the security features that they may be adding. It could take a lot longer. Uh, but I realized too that a lot of people get excited when they're at these events and someone's, you know, as you said, David, in the beginning, someone's up on stage and they're doing the great pitch and it's, you know, easy to install. It could take minutes, uh, you know, have your, uh, have your technicians focusing on something that's more revenue generating. These are all sort of buzzwords that we're hearing. And I really caution the MS to take that time during the trial period to really fully understand what it's going to look like when you do need to, to, let's say, install it across your customer base. Something I also wanted to understand here, right, is when I consider the work that goes into like being an MSP, right, I consider that there's tools that are good for your clients and there are tools that are good for you, like a, as like your employees, your workforce, things that make your job easier to support your clients. And I, I wanted to know if there's ever like a schism, and I don't know if schism is the right word, but if there's ever just differences between those and, and how you weigh those, you know, like how do you make a decision that's best for both parties? And so how do MSPs decide, you know, if this is a thing, what the right tools are for their clients as opposed to for themselves? Is, is that a thing that folks have to grapple with? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're exactly right. There usually is in those, um, you know, two buckets, if you will, one that's going to allow your technicians, let's say to monitor and manage, make sure everything's up and running all the time. And then there is going to be something that you would offer to your customers, uh, maybe even for them to use on a daily basis or for them to be protected. So really, I think an MSP will almost treat it the same because their customers see you as an extension of their business. And I know it's kind of a cliche term that some people would slap me on the wrist for saying, but you become that virtual CIO. So they expect you to go through the trials and make sure it's right for their environment, make sure that the company has the appropriate background. So I truly believe that uh, an MSP is probably going to go through the same considerations no matter what bucket actually falls into. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd add anything to that as far as the tools for the for the internal team. The only thing I would add for clients in determining the best tools, 
would be that you can always tell the maturity of the MSP based on that actual process of how they determine what a client needs. And, and the reason I say that is because some companies will hire an MSP and just expect them to quote unquote handle IT for them and set and forget. And what ends up happening then is is an MSP who's, you know, what, what's the, what's the, the saying is that if, only, it's the only tool you have is a hammer. Everything's a nail, right? <laughs> so, what you what, they, what you want to do as an MSP is make sure that the tools that you're putting in place speak to a risk that the client has. So, that initial process of understanding the client's uh, risk surface, understanding what's important to them. Now, there is definitely an educational piece when an MSP comes in and they, especially in a new environment and they're evaluating what a client has and what needs to be protected, but it should definitely be a back and forth conversation. It has to be a partnership and there has to be some progress that's made while the client is fully aware of it in spite of the fact that the MSP is responsible or, or maybe even accountable for it. We've mentioned and we've alluded to tools and products and, and services. And it only struck me right now that you know, until thinking about this, I can understand, you know, an MSP rolling out like a cybersecurity product. And Nadia, you mentioned, you know, uh, up above, rolling out some of the, you know, multiple vendors for like backup. Let's say like an MSP, you know, brings on a new client and, and they're auditing or they're, or they're kind of figuring out what this client needs tangibly. Like, what are those things actually? Like, what are the things they need beyond just a cybersecurity tool or backup and recovery services? I, I'm just trying to, you know, again, really get a grasp on what are the things that are all involved in like the responsibilities of an MSP? Typically it starts with some sort of a base agent of an RMM, something that you can have eyes on your clients, endpoints, network, and then it builds from there. Again, I, ha I have to refer back to what I, I said previous in the previous question was that you have to understand your client's environment. So for example, if your client, if 75% of their staff work remotely, and everything is cloud-based, they're using Office 365 and using cloud-based applications, do they really need an on-premise firewall at their main office? Eh, arguably, no, if you know if the majority of their, their staff are working from home anyway. So it, yeah, again, it breaks down to you know understanding their environment, understanding their internal goals and their internal processes, and then implementing the tools and the security features that wrap around that. And it can range from anything from, again, on-prem firewalls to a full-featured, you know, CASB where you're protecting and locking down their cloud communications between their uh, their their staff and their cloud resources. Again, to disaster recovery and backups, you know, and planning out, you know, how they would recover and making sure that that tool and that service lives up to what the requirements are. So it's really hard to define all the different pieces without. You no, know, could, we could probably do another you know, hour or two hours of <laughs> of a podcast talking just about the tools and what and what uh, what MSPs deploy. Yeah, that could that could definitely be a conversation on its own. And um, just to mention, too, how the landscape has changed. Uh, you know, a few years ago, we would have said, you know, we, we, we got to start getting into the cloud. We're seeing more people working from anywhere. And then the pandemic hit and it kind of fast forwarded all those plans into we need to get everybody into the cloud. Now, most places maybe don't have an office anymore. So everybody is working from anywhere uh, exclusively with no home base. So it really did sort of fast forward those plans that we all kind of had in the back of our minds and knew was coming soon. And all of a sudden, it's it's right here. It's right now. On the note that we were talking about 
something that you mentioned, Eddie, is that it really does have to be a back and forth. It has to be a partnership. You can't, as an MSP, it sounds like, just lump something onto a client and expect it to just go okay. You know, like you can't just surprise them with things. And I wanted to know, like, on that note, let's say you as an MSP have figured out that, you know, my client would actually benefit a lot from this, you know, and and you go to the client and you say that and they just say, no, I wouldn't. And I want to know, what does that back and forth look like then? Like how, you know, it's not necessarily like, how do you win an argument, but how do you show value in the things that you think would benefit a client? Okay, now I'm going to climb on my soapbox a little bit here. (laughs) So the first step of that process is to start last year. Sell the future now is what I typically say. And, And here's what that means. You can't expect to walk into a a decision maker's office and say, hey, you know, we know we were here just last year and we upgraded your backup disaster recovery appliance or service or whatever it was. And now this month we we need to add MDR to your endpoint where, you know, we now have a SOC involved, a security operations center involved where they can, you know, monitor and handle events that happen. It just doesn't work that way. It would be a revolving door of you know walking into the decision maker to ask them to sign off on a more cause and if you haven't set up that expectation that security is a journey and not a checkbox then you're going to run into problems you're going to run into those situations where the client does just say you know i've had enough and, and no i can't so by selling the future now what msps need to do is begin to cultivate that relationship where the client understands that this is going to be ongoing. And MSPs just don't sit around thinking of different ways to build their client. It has to do with having a trusted partner that is watching out for you on the new threats that are coming out you know, every day as ransomware evolves, as brute force attacks evolve, as new vulnerabilities are discovered. You need that partner, that MSP that's going to watch out for you. And that's the relationship that you need to build with that with those clients. And I've even heard in the past where some MSPs will make these suggestions and draw out a proposal and, you know, let the end user, the customer know that this is the best way to keep you safe, that we will try to avoid everything possible for something to go wrong. And if it does go wrong, this is how we get you back up and running with as little as possible effect on your business. And if the customer still doesn't agree, they actually have them sign something that says, we told you that this is the way to keep yourself safe. You declined it. Therefore, it is not our fault if something goes wrong and it could cost you money in project hours if we do need to fix it. So I have seen MSPs go as far as having a document drawn up where the end user has to sign. And it just almost builds that fear like here she's pretty serious. Maybe I should consider their suggestions as, as this is going to keep me safe and protected. I love that point. Nadia, and we've used that before. <laughs> and what we, we call it a CYA letter. I'll keep it PG, I won't tell you what the acronym stands for, but uh, <laughs> we essentially <laughs> would put that letter together. <laughs> but you know what we found is that if we were dealing with a decision maker and we were gonna send that letter to them, we would often include C-levels or owners on those letters. And it wasn't because we were trying to be heavy handed, but it would ignite the conversation again. It would help the decision maker realize that this, what we're talking about was a bigger issue than just 
oh, here's another security feature that they want to sell us, it becomes, oh, wow, this has serious implications. And when the owner gets involved or the C-level, you know, obviously it depends on the business uh, when you take this route, but it, it is a great tool, those, those letters that you're talking about, in order to progress the conversation. And nine times out of 10, uh, most MSPs will find that they will sign and they will get on board once you, you know, escalate that conversation. Absolutely. Something that I thought was really interesting that was said is that obviously this understanding that security is a journey. I've heard variations of that and I've heard repeatedly, you know, that security is not a checklist, right? It's not just a, it's not just like a, a one pager and you're like, yep, yep, yep. Got all those three. Now I am good for, you know, 10 years. <laughs> like that's not how it works. And I'm trying to think of this as a customer, as a client, right? As a decision maker. And let's say I've contracted with an MSP and they tell me this and I believe all of it. I agree. I subscribe to that, you know, security is a journey mantra, but it also kind of feels like just from what I've seen of cybersecurity over the past few years, that things are constantly getting worse. <laughs> like yeah. there's more threats, there's more ransomware, there's higher demands, there's more exploits that we didn't know about. And it's hard for me if I'm in the position as a client to not think, okay, yeah, security is a journey, but that also means that like that journey is expensive. And I wonder, are there ever times actually when like services get peeled back or services get consolidated? Because I, as a client could only see that, wow, as I'm trying to run my business, cybersecurity is getting increasingly expensive. And I wonder how do you address those concerns? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's true. It's, it's definitely a journey. I've seen a couple of times where people try to create a checklist, but literally monthly something gets added to the checklist. So now it becomes, you know, miles long. It looks like yeah. something coming out of a clown car because it keeps it something else keeps coming and coming and coming. So by far it's something that is extremely important. And what I think needs to to happen is that relationship that you have with your customer, having those conversations, letting them know they're protected. And the one thing that MSPs really need to focus is either a quarterly business review, an annual review, some type of reports, because the thing is, is if you're doing a really great job and keeping your customers protected, they're not hearing about any of the security incidents. They're not seeing you on site trying to fix anything. So guess what happens when they start looking at budgets and they need to cut some costs? They're going to say, well, you know, I haven't seen any security incidents. I guess we don't need <laughs> that service that my MSP is offering because, you know, I'm not seeing them. It must mean that it's not happening. Those reports and those reviews let that customer know, yeah, I've been doing this and I've been doing it so well that you didn't even know it was happening. So I think it's having those conversations, having those relationships, having those reports and those reviews with your customers so they know exactly what you're doing to keep them protected. That's a great answer, Nadia. Yeah, it sounds a lot like um, something we hear, you know, that I've heard in like marketing, which is that when you're in marketing, you market your own marketing you know, <laughs> to the company. And it's just sort of a way to show like, this is what we're doing. These are our successes. I mean, this is true for, I think, any team in a big enough company, you know? You show your work. Yeah. It sounds like this also works in the MSP world. You show all the things that have been avoided. Exactly. I've been talking about this since, you know, my remote monitoring and management days, you know, we're talking like 12 years ago when it was, you know, you go in with an executive summary because if a server goes down on the weekend and they didn't even know you fixed it, they're not going to know Monday morning the, the, the fire that you took out over the weekend until you show them that report. So that's something that's been around forever. And I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I would be so upset 
if I fixed something and it wasn't, you know, something drastic and critical and it, and like no one knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It goes back to like, if the tree fell in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it actually fall? Well, yeah, it fell. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely a skill in taking full advantage of you know, what we call QBRs, quarterly business reviews with our client. And it's, it's an, it's an opportunity to show them, to open up their eyes to how many incidents you've, prevented based on, you know, whether it be your endpoint that has, you know, caught and blocked something or it's your firewall that, you know, again, caught and, and blocked a particular attack. Um, yeah, so leveraging that, using the reports that your vendors provide with you is is very, very valuable. Now there's a balance between overloading them with too much information where they don't care how many patches you necessarily deployed, uh, but they do care that, you know, that you know, somebody did download something malicious and your endpoint protection stopped it. It's interesting that we've started the conversation, right, with like very technical, very tool-based. Here's a product that's good. Here's how you evaluate it. Here's the research that goes into it. And now, like we're going into many more, you know, what are typically described as like soft skills, like relationship building and it's, you know, uh, education and information. And that thing both of you mentioned there where, you know, sometimes you smartly copy the C-suite onto an email and it's not done with malintent. It's just to show that this is like a serious thing that's being discussed and it's going to spark kind of that conversation. And at least that conversation happening is going to better prepare the client for moving into the future. And all of this is to say that there isn't just a technical aspect of the job, but there is like a education aspect of the job. There's a personality management aspect of the job. And so all the work, right, that we've already discussed that goes into explaining a new security product and convincing a client to take it on, it sounds like there's also a lot of room to teach those clients just more about security, about cybersecurity in general, about security best practices. Am I getting that right? Is that is that something that MSPs should take on? Absolutely, without a doubt. In the last few years, when I owned my MSP, one thing that we did was we called it cybersecurity awareness training, although that term is expanded to mean some of the automated phishing uh, simulations that are done right now. But what we did was you know, customize or bespoke cybersecurity awareness training where, in fact, I did this myself, where I would go out to our client sites at least once per year, and we would pull in well, sometimes it'd be, depending on the client, it would be web-based or Zoom-based. But we would pull in all of the staff, all of the C-levels, and I would present to them just the latest threats that were happening. And it wasn't death by PowerPoint. I didn't kill them with tech and acronyms and the whole bit. I would make it interactive and I would make it energetic. And I would talk about the exciting things that we were doing. I would talk a bit about some of the latest threats that were happening. I always hate when when maybe some of our my peers as MSPs use the, the the FUD route, right? The fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the way I, I described it and the way I put it together is it's like when you get in your, your vehicle and you check your oil, you're not necessarily afraid you're going to you know, break your engine by running without oil. You do it because that's how you, you know, run your vehicle. And that's how you operate it. Well, same thing with business. It comes down to educating everyone around security. Now, here's the cool thing about that is that when I, we would pull in all of these staff and all of the C-level and all the decision makers, and we would talk about the threats that are out there, we would talk about how security is a journey and not a checkbox, and we would talk about the things that we're doing to help protect them and, and you know best practices. The cool thing about that is that who's in that audience? 
the future decision makers. Those are the future C-levels. And so if we start them early, if we start them as a clerk and they go in to become a manager and eventually become a decision maker, they've already been taught and they're already used to that culture of cybersecurity and the, and the awareness is there and the decisions that they make. And when they think about whether it's creating a password or setting up a system, they're going to include us. Or when they decide to open up a new office, they're going to include their, their MSP to make sure all the right decisions are being made around security. I can't stress that enough and how helpful that has been through the security journey with clients and how easy it makes it for them to understand where we're going and the fact that we're trying to help them. And I wish you could see me here because I'm <laughs> nodding my head like I'm a bobblehead sitting on my desk because I <laughs> everything you said was 100% there. And, you know, going back to they see you as the expert, they, they, they need to build that trust. And what better way to position yourself as the expert they should trust as to come in and do that type of training and show them that you're aware of everything, you're on top of everything. And not only that, but you're coming in to help everybody on staff to make sure they're safe and to help them keep themselves safe. No better way to do that than with those types of training objectives and courses that you could offer. I wonder how, because I hear these things and they sound like great best practices, right? Things that you should do, things that will help absolutely the cybersecurity posture moving forward. But I also am curious about how you get to that point because I used to work at like a small newspaper and we had an MSP and I assume we did because we didn't have anyone full-time and we always had to call like the same resource to get any tech issues sorted out. And if you told me when I was like in my early 20s and I was on deadline as a reporter and I had to like, you told me, hey, we have a all staff meeting and it's to learn about like cybersecurity. My instinct at that time would have been like, I don't want to go to this meeting. <laughs> and I wonder how you get to a point where you are welcomed in these spaces. I think it goes back to the, you become an extension of the business. You really have become that trusted advisor. And the other thing is some of the times you have to convince, let's say whether it's the um, the president, the CEO, the managing director, that this becomes a mandatory training. Free pizza helps too. Exactly, I was gonna say <laughs> some type of carrot, uh, make it a lunch and learn. Maybe, you know, everybody who comes gets their name thrown into a draw for um, some free Uber Eats or Amazon gift cards. Like there's ways to do it. And it's it's ways that, you know, us as vendors sometimes and working for larger companies, we take for granted because we see this stuff happen all the time when it comes to smaller businesses. Start implementing some of those same things. You, you bring people in, um, if, you know, if they're uh, work from anywhere, uh, a workforce that's ever everywhere offer like i said uber eats everybody gets twenty dollars that day uh, after attending this training people like certificates it becomes a thing a little badge a little certificate that they can print out or put in their signature saying that they've attended this training as we said we want credit for things right so what other way to get credit than to offer them some type of certificate or badge yeah and, and delivery is everything as well i mean if you're going to do this for your clients don't have your geekiest tech that is phenomenal with, you know, discovering and reading through your security logs, <laughs> who doesn't, who might know the stuff, but can't present dynamically. You need to have that soft skill in order to make it interesting in order to, because it, it really is interesting. It's amazing how many of those sessions that I put on where people would you know, start talking about security and start asking questions. I mean, it would inevitably break into privacy and uh, security on and social media and that sort of thing. But you can get people interested. Security, I mean, I'm not to sound melodramatic or anything, but it is, it's, 
it's a war against cyber criminals out there and it is very interesting and it can be dramatic and it can you know pull people in and, and get interested about it if you just deliver it correctly absolutely and, and we talked about it already it's, yeah. it's on the news yeah. it's all over social media so it's not like something brand new that they've never heard of uh, it's something that they probably heard about and said oh you know should i be concerned do i want to be the person at the company that clicked on something they weren't supposed to and now the entire company can't function no i don't want to put that on my record so you know make it so that it's it's something that everybody's interested in. Make it fun. Like like Eddie mentioned, maybe you don't have the most technical person. I, I remember somebody saying, you know, make the training so that, um, you know, a grandparent or a five-year-old could also take it and, and still find it interesting and, and make it relevant. Maybe even tailor it specific to what industry they're in, too, because they're obviously got a passion for what they're doing. So, you know, you mentioned you work for a newspaper. Make sure that there's some relevancy there to what they do day in and day out. I think that something else about becoming a partner and getting invited into the room and having these presentations is also that there's probably this other side that I hadn't considered, which is that if you really are, you know, included in conversations and you really are included in emails and, you know, I don't know, Slack communications, as an MSP, you're also probably able to see bad behavior or bad messaging that you can correct when it happens. And I was just wondering, is that a right assumption? Has that happened to you folks where you've just been like, oh, oh no, that's not the way you should message that. Let's do something about this. I wish that was more true, but I feel just so much goes on behind the scenes. And no matter how much you teach best practices, that sometimes things do slip through, like emailing passwords or emailing credit card information. Uh, and sometimes that's kind of stuff we don't catch until it's too late. There are tools out there that can help, like you know, data leak protection, DLP services, but it, it goes back to that, you know, constant uh, reminders, um, you know, in addition to the training, you know, if you if you call out common and headline making events and send them to your client and talk about what what should have what happened and what should have been done. I think the more you, you increase that awareness, the, the better off they are. Yeah, exactly that. I think it's that calling out that, you know, this actually happened like real life stories. This actually happened. Someone you know, just thought it was easy enough to share a password because they needed somebody to get into a particular application quickly and thought that was it. And then this happened. I think it's sharing those real life stories where it hits home and going, oh my goodness, I did that last week. You know, this could have been a terrible event that happened all because I sent that email. I think it really hits home. I enjoy hearing these things because like it makes me feel better about like our own practices because uh, I very much do not send passwords, <laughs> but I used to, you know, I'm like, <laughs> it's a hundred percent because four years ago before I was at Malwarebytes, I worked somewhere that was like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and that's all it takes. Like that's, it's just like, no, that's an extremely bad decision. Don't do that. We all know somebody who has that sticky note <laughs> under their laptop or under their keyboard with all their passwords. We all can name one or two people. Uh, but I'm hoping with this type of education, it's it's less and less. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, you know, it's not up to the MSP to do a site visit and uh, check people's, uh, to, you know, display monitors. If anyone sees their local MSPs looking under things, they are looking for those sticky notes. <laughs> yeah. It's part of the audit, part of the regular, yeah. Take a picture <laughs> Bring it on and you climb. Get your, your keyboard and send it in. To yeah. Eddie, Nadia, I wanted to thank you again for both coming on today's show and for explaining all of this. Oh, it was absolutely our pleasure. Yeah, thanks, David. 
Thank you so much for having us. This was this was great. I I always welcome the opportunity to to nerd out on this stuff, and it's been an absolute pleasure. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we learn about ransomware negotiation. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at malwarebytes.com slash blog. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com and our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show was edited by Eric Johnson from lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks.